Welcome to Retirementals, a podcast that dives headfirst into the issues facing the financial sector at the intersection of investment, technology and financial advice. Hosted by Abraham Oksanya, you can expect raw honesty, critical analysis and energetic interviews. Here is your host, Abraham Okasanya. Hello and welcome to Retirementals. I know I say this, uh, that, that I, am, I am truly excited about my guest today, but if you can't feel it in my voice, I am really, really chuffed about my guest today. Carl Richards is known to everybody in financial services. Carl is a certified financial planner and the creator of the Sketch Guy column, um, appearing weekly in the New York Times, uh, you know, since 2010. I don't know if you still do that anyway, by the way, Carl. Um, no, no. <laughs> all right, but Carl Richards, welcome to Retirementals. Hey, Abraham, I'm so excited to talk to you. Like I, I mentioned to you before, um, you're one of my favorite people in the industry because I love, like our industry is devoid of people who actually are willing to have an opinion and put a stake in the ground and say, look, this is a way you could do it. And you have had no problem doing that. And so it's, it's, been, it's been super fun. So I'm excited about this. Thank you. Thank you. You're, you're, you're very kind. And, you know, you've been a stalwart of our industry, someone that we all look to. You're kind of the Dalai Lama of financial planning. <laughs> that's very, that's, that's, that's so, very nice of you. <laughs> great, great to have you here. Let, let's yeah. just dive right in. Where, where does this find you? I know you, last, we were talking about this, actually. Uh, last time, we, you know, I saw you was at the Science of Retirement Conference um, in 2020, I think, before the world went crazy. Uh, where are you today? What, what's up in your world? Yeah, no, I remember that well, because I wrote that we were living in London. I rode my bike down to your event and Indeed. I parked, I parked, a, actually, I think I rode like a Lime bike or something. Anyway, I parked the bike and I I was walking, trying to find, because somebody told me I should have hand sanitizer. So I was like, <laughs> I was trying to find some on the way there. I'm just like, I don't know why we need this. And, you know, we quickly found out why. That That is really crazy to think about, actually, because um, that that was probably the last, that was the last event I attended up until uh, yesterday. I spoke at an event yesterday. That's, so that's, that's probably the bookmarks was yesterday. So... We moved back to Park City kind of on accident. Um, we we went home for Christmas of um, 2020. No? Yeah, Christmas of 2000, 2000. It's now 2022. 2020. Yeah, 2020. We went home for Christmas from London. And if you remember, that was right during the London variant. Yes, yes. So our kids were going to come to London and we had to change everything because the, uh, we weren't allowed to go to the... Airbnb or any, you know, we, nobody was allowed to leave London. Um, we left food in the fridge in our flat in <laughs> Hampstead. And we got here and we were, you know, in the house and we were with the kids. And, you know, we, we spent a lot of time outside where there's no people around. So we were doing the things outside with our family and, and uh, you know, the kids were going to school. I mean, my kids' friends were going to school. And so we woke up one day and we're like, why are, what if we just stayed here? So we never went back. Like, wow. luckily we had a friend in that was attending Cambridge that when we left for two or three weeks for the holidays, we said, hey, you can stay in the flat. 
we called them and said, hey, you know, there's two months left on the lease. Do you want to stay in the flat and ship us our stuff? So we haven't been back. So we're really hungry. My wife and I and our, our youngest daughter who was with us really, really hungry to get back to London. We miss it. I, I that year there, despite the circumstances, the, the number of walks, I, I, I implemented, this is more than you want to hear, but I implemented this little game I called Carl Walks with Smart People. Right. And so I would find somebody to go on a walk every week in, you know, Hampstead Heath or Hyde Park or, you know, around Parliament Square. Like, so you were walking with amazingly smart people. And, you know, London, the intellectual capital is so yeah. deep that I could find somebody amazing to walk with. I realized I went like five weeks in a row, not intentionally, but five weeks in a row with somebody who had a PhD. Wow. Wow. Was like, you know, Greg Davies and... You know, like uh, it was so fun. So uh, Park City has a lot of things, but it, <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't have that, you know, so I miss it. Incredible stuff. Look, it's, 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 it's great to connect through this, this channel. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, we're starting to see, you know, live events, um, you know, come back to the scene again. Um, so hopefully, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get the opportunity to meet again in the flesh. But until that, I'm, I'm really fascinated by your career, right? Uh, and not in the traditional sense. You know, you're one of these people, in my view, who've managed to actually somehow <laughs> achieve freedom to do whatever you 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 whatever the hell you liked i know that you know in the run-up to uh, um you know the lockdown you were out in new zealand right for for a little while and then you came to london spent a year in london and now you're back to to uh, um you know to, to the u.s Get, you know, you started out as a, as a financial advisor, you built your own practice, and then this thing sort of took off, this sketch thing. G yeah. Give us a sense of that journey and how you think about it. Yeah, it's a really good question because I don't really know. I mean, I, I've, I've, and I think this is maybe important that, um, and I think this applies to the work we do in financial planning. It certainly applies to business plans. It applies to life. Like we sort of joke now, my wife and I, that old saying that people make plans and God laughs, mm, mm, mm. you know? So I, I don't know how this happened, I, you know? So I, I can give maybe just some context, right? Like I'm, I, I, I applied for a security guard job. I thought it was a security guard job. It turns out the ad said security. So that was like the beginning of the, I don't know what I'm doing route. You know, that it, it was a securities job. I misread the ad and didn't really even know what securities was. I thought it was a mall cop or a bouncer. I get a job at Fidelity Investments. You know, I, I'm learning about spreadsheets and calculators. And then Netscape goes public. And I was on the phone with people. And I remember when Netscape went public, just you know, it's a longer story, but I just remember being sort of fascinated, a little bit unmoored by the fact that like, oh, this isn't a math job. Like people were doing crazy things. They were really excited. Some people were mad because they didn't get on in on this IPO. Like that whole feeling, I remember very specifically, I remember the pillar I was standing next to at the Fidelity call center thinking, like looking around and just being like, what's going on here? And so that was like, I didn't make a big deal out of it then, but that was the like, the moment that kind of kept me interested was like, whoa, this is about humans and behavior and math actually has very little to do with it. 
And of course, from the professional's point of view, math is table stakes. So I never, sometimes I get accused of downplaying the math and I, I'm not doing that. I'm saying it's table stakes. Of course, you gotta be a pro, but it's not what it's about. So, so that was interesting. And then, you know, if you fast forward a couple of years, I was sitting at, at a, a big, I came up through the brokerage industry. So sitting at a big, big brokerage firm that will go unnamed but has a bull as its symbol and is now owned by a bank, right? Like this was an investment place. And sitting across the table from clients, smart people, I remember who it was, an emergency room doctor and a technology sales rep. And I was trying to explain a concept to them and I was just getting blank stares. And it was, I was really sort of out of a act of desperation that I was like, no, like this, right? And drew something on the whiteboard. It was like two boxes and a square and a circle and an arrow, right? Like, and I remember them saying, oh, I get it now. And me just being like, what? I like, I don't, it was the first, I wasn't a doodler. I didn't take an art class in college, which is obvious if you look at the work. Um, and so that started. And so you can just see, it was just a series of events of like totally unplanned, nothing I would have known. And I, we can talk about what do I make of that? Cause I, I've thought a lot about it. Cause people ask this question all the time, but so the sketches, right? Like I left Merrill to start my own independent firm. Really initially, the reason I left was to get access to dimensional. Like that was actually the driving force. And so I, I leave, I start my own firm and that allowed me the freedom to start doing that more in public. So I just started putting these images up. There's a whole story behind that. Nobody was reading it, you know, like I was just doing it. It was an, it was really a compulsion. Um, I, I was sort of compelled to entrepreneur, if you will. I didn't choose to entrepreneur and I couldn't stop. And now I've become totally unemployable. Like it's not even possible. <laughs> so, so I put those up and, and I, I was just like, nobody's reading it. There's nothing happening here. And then I remember the guy's name is Kent Garelish. Kent Garelish is a financial advisor. I didn't know him at the time. He sent an email to Ron Lieber at the New York Times wow. saying, hey, you should check this out. And I, I know Ron really well. Like we're good friends now. I know how many emails he gets. And I know how many get deleted. And I, I, despite his best intentions, he can't keep up. Well, he opened this one, right? He didn't know Kent. Certainly didn't know me. So like, again, another random like, Sure, I increased my luck surface area, but it's still luck. Ron opens the email and decides, hey, we'd love to have you do this. So then I did that with the Times and that kicked off all this stuff. So 2012, it became obvious to me when the book came out that I either, I, I needed to sell the firm or, or stop writing because I couldn't do both. Hmm. So that's when I sold the firm. And then one thing's just led to another art shows and the, you know, the books. I, I can tell you the same story about the book getting published. I mean, really kind of like confluence of events. So that's a really long-winded bit of context for the answer to your question is I don't know really what to make of it. I, I know that I, for whatever reason, am wired to be relatively comfortable is not even the right word to, I, I, I'm, I'm wired to be okay and actually seek out and enjoy uncertainty. Mm. And I think of that just as reality, by the way, but that's a whole nother subject. But, but um, I, I'm okay with saying, hey, we're gonna do this thing. And then when things show up and I'm not very good at 
strategy going forward, but I'm pretty good at noticing when somebody hits me upside the head with a two by four and says, Hey, you should go that way. Right. And so that's all I've got on that subject. I mean, I, we, I could talk for hours about that subject, but what I'm saying is I don't have a simple hack or trick. And to me, that's actually really beautiful. And when I think about the work that financial advisors do, I think we've become too way, way, way too reliant on the idea that we're sellers of certainty hmm. and that these cute little plans we build, and I'm saying that really facetiously, but like, we think they're actually going to like, oh, you think that's actually going to be a model of what, what the next three years, let alone 10. I mean, go back to our meeting, hmm. right? <laughs> tell me what your plans were for January of 2020. Tell me what your plans were for 2020, just a year, just one. All I want need to know is one year. Tell me what your plans were in January. And then tell me what your life looked like in April. Yeah. Right. So anyway, that long, sorry for the long winded answer. It's just one of my favorite subjects. No, 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 no long winded answer. This is why we're doing this. And I'm going to go even more completely off script, off script around this issue of um, uncertainty, um, you know, get, getting comfortable with uncertainty and the value of planning, right? Right. Planning, right. You know, like, so, so the, the point is, well, if we're saying, you know, the future is unknown, the future is uncertain, we never quite know. I mean, there's a part of me still that just think, Carl's just been humble, humble about all these things, right? You know, to, to suggest that, I don't know if it's just my fear. I, I was born in Africa, came out of, you know, incredible, insane poverty, right? I cannot, uh, and that's not true for anyone, but that's just my journey, right? Yep. And, and I cannot, on, you, know, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, serendipity, it just drives, it's like, I've got to plan, I've got to project, I've got to shoot for more and all that stuff. Yeah, yet you're saying to me, well, look, I started out as a financial planner and somehow, I mean, you put in the work, right? You Sure created the hearts you put the, the graphics you put them out there somebody saw it they you became a columnist they you get invited to speak you go speak you did prepare so you did put up point the work but i still don't understand how how do we balance this value of planning yep. you know having a plan three five ten year plan versus yep. actually then just following the stream where it leads as yeah. the opportunity present themselves. No, I, I love this subject. So thank you for asking. Cause I, this is one of these really interesting things that, um, that, that we have, where we have there, there, it's an and statement. It's not an or. And it, so we have to hold, and this is sort of what's required of adults, right? You got to hold two competing ideas in your mind at the same time, and they're both true. Hmm. So planning, making a plan, doing the best you possibly can, designing the plan, getting all the assumptions right, doing the research, having the best calculator, the best software, the best, the biggest, like having the most designations behind your name, a la Michael Kitsis, right? Like <laughs> that matters. 
and it's going to be wrong. No matter how, like that plan is going to blow up. And I use that term blow up relatively lightly. Like, like we probably know that it's, we already know it's going to blow up. Like we know because of the weighty evidence of history. So, so, so financial planning is worthless planning. Let's just talk about planning because we think of business and life planning. Like planning is worthless and planning is invaluable. <laughs> and, and we've got to hold those things together. So the way I think of it now, after I've had probably, I don't know if thousands is the right word, but definitely hundreds and hundreds of conversations with the smartest people I can find about this exact subject. Cause I, I'm really like, there's like, Oh, I'm going to literally just, you know, I'm going to move into a cave. I, you know, like there's that whole like sort of law of attraction, you know, the secret gets really close to how dangerous this is. Like, I think that's the most dangerous personal finance book ever written. And, and there's a truth in there that was totally misappropriated in the secret, but there's a truth, this law of attraction and abundance and scarcity, like there's something there and I don't know what it is. So it's so interesting. So the way I think about it now is the idea of having a plan. And I went through a phase. I, I actually spent probably a year speaking about the note, like the one page financial plan was a negotiation. There was, I went through a, a year of like a no plan plan, you know, where we just like, show up, embrace uncertainty, ask what is to do next, do it, repeat. So um, here's, here's my thinking on it. So this is drawn largely from chaos and complexity theory. And you're somebody who reads a lot and is deeply like into that, the research. Dave Snowden's work, and he's based in Wales. Dave Snowden's work is amazing on this. And so is sort of Oda Loops. OODA, Oda Loops work done by the jet fighter pilot. I can't remember his name early on, but, but Snowden's work's amazing. And here, so here's what I think of it. We are almost like by, almost definitionally, we are navigating, humans are navigating a complex adaptive system. Mm. And if you understand the definition of those terms, so complex you know, it's not a simple system. It's not a complicated system. It's complex and it's borderlining on chaos. So you've got simple, complicated, complex chaos and complex, complex systems, like the simple version. And many of your readers are so smart that they'll certainly send me corrections and that's totally fine. Um, the simple version is like we do a, in a simple system, you do a, you understand the process and you get B in a complicated system. You do a, there's parts of the process you're not quite sure about in it, uh, beforehand. You get B and you can explain the whole process after the fact. In a complicated mm -hmm. system, you do A, something goes on that you're not sure about at all. And in fact, you can't even explain it accurately with the benefit of hindsight. You make up cute stories. Mm -hmm. And you see this in entrepreneurship all the time, right? Like I did it. I've got an S painted on my chest. Let me tell you the seven ways to do it. And it works great. I just had this conversation with Morgan Housel. Morgan doesn't really know how to repeat the book he wrote. Mm, 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 and if Morgan doesn't know how to do it again, how are all the people who are making up these stories about, let me break down how Morgan Housel did it. That's us trying to make a complicate, a complex system, complicated or simple. And you don't always get B. You don't, you're not exactly sure what the output is. So we live in a complex system and it's adaptive. Every time you or I interact with the system, 
it changes the system, right? You take money out of your retirement account, you start a business, you, you, know, you, you do something with your family, no matter what kind of planning we're talking about, it changes the system. So complex adaptive system. Well, from the literature, the only way to navigate a complex adaptive system, the only way is to solve for the next local optimum, that's the words from the literature, and reset. So really, it's the only way is to take the next best step. So that's interesting, really interesting. And then the other thing that I think is interesting is goals and plans have a gravitational pull. Hmm. Right. So I like that. I like the idea of just so it's I like the idea of thinking of a plan or a goal as a strong opinion loosely held. Hmm. So you can do both. And so I have to play this game and I had to teach the kids finally, because they were just so, because I'll come home and be like, I'm, we're going to do this. Start an alpaca ranch in Colorado. You know, like we're, and, and I have to say it as if I am going to do it. And that's strong opinion. Like uh, we're going to do this because I find the only way for me to find out if I should actually do it is to step that direction. Cause when I step that direction, new information shows up. Mm. So I gotta be committed. And then I law, so what I'd rely on, some people can, you know, like, can feel like the universe gives them signals. You know, I've got friends that, that feel inspired from God, that the universe, they like, I know I should go that direction. I can't get that. What I can get, I call it the law of negative consent. So what I say is, I'm going to go this way. <laughs> and if it's not the way I'm supposed to go, I'm <laughs> counting on you to tell me. Right. So that's how I hold all that in my head is like, okay. So I'll just walk you through the process real quick. Like um, there's a new project I want to start. It's called dancing with dragons. That's where all these dragon stickers and it's called uh -huh. dancing with dragons and dancing with dragons is just a, like a book I want to write around. It's like a handbook for uncertainty. Um, a handbook for living a creative life, whatever. Um, that feels really good. That's interesting. That thoughts occurred to me. A number of, so then I start paying attention to tailwind. Like, oh, if I, if I say it, do other people nod their head? Mm -hmm. Have I, do I get questions? Oh, interesting. There's some energy building behind going that. That's the two by four, right? Like it's not, a, it's not very often. It's not a two by four. It's just gentle nudges. Then I'll be like, oh, what's the next step? Oh, maybe I should, maybe I should write a single tweet. Oh, how did that feel? It's not always how did people react? It's sort of like, what is it? Is there still energy there? Oh, cool. Maybe I should expand that. So that's every step of the way. It was never, I would have never dared say, I'm going to write a book with Penguin. Mm -hmm. I would have never had that goal. I never would I have said, I'm going to write a column every week for 10 years with the New York Times. I wouldn't have even said I'm going to get mentioned in the New York Times. So, but I said, oh, this works interesting. Maybe I'll do it. Somebody asked to see it. I'll, I'll put it up on a website. Right. And then it led from there. I'm just going to bend down to plug this in real quick so we don't lose power. Yeah. There we go. So that's, that's how I think about that is like, what's the next step? So embrace the uncertainty of it all make a guess as to where I want to head. So I get that gravitational pull, the strong opinion, head that direction until new information shows up that says I should go a slightly different direction. 
And that to me is the process you mentioned, like being humble. It's not, it's honestly not that it's, it's sure you do a crazy amount of work increasing your luck surface area. The things that are happening to you would not happen if you were sitting in a basement <laughs> thinking about them. Yeah. Right. But there's also certain things that have happened to you that you probably couldn't recreate. Yeah. So it's, hard work and luck. And I don't know what the percentages of that are, right? So, so anyway, that's how I think about it. How do no, you, no, wait, 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 before you move on, how do you think about, right? You, you grew up, like there's a bunch of people still growing up the way you grew up. Yeah. How do you think about being one of the ones that is no longer in as you said, you know, like extreme poverty. How do you think about that? You know, you're, you're going to get me in tears, right? Because that's my goal. 18 months ago, my mom died at 62. Mm. Mm. And, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, I had to go, you know, go out to, to Nigeria to, to, to give her, you know, the, the last respect we say it and you know for the week and a half or so that I was out there I met people that we went to school together I spoke to the smartest kids in my class in my sort of primary school class and you know the question I kept asking myself is how do you explain we're not talking about you know, if you look at, say, if you measure things, right, in terms of outcomes in life, right, we're not talking about 10, 10x difference, we're talking about hundreds, multiples, um, in different, and so I'm saying to myself, how do you explain that difference? It sure can't be intelligence, right, because the kids who are much smarter in my class aren't, you know, they're not the the wealthiest or the uh you know if you measure accomplishment uh, and so you know and, and i think it goes back to it, it can of course you've got to put in the work as you say right but the, the, there is there is just this thing um you know and i this is where we we get this podcast into a different dimension. You know, in my world, people will say, well, that is just God, right? Um, in another world, people will say, well, you know, that's just nature, right? Luck, all these things. Believe what you do, but um, fundamentally, it's, I can't attribute it to um, just efforts or hard work, you can't attribute it to, you know, intelligence, um, you know, so it, it, it has to be something that is bigger than, um, you know, that, than the individual. I, and I don't know what you do with that. What do you do with that, right? Yeah. You know, somebody yeah. says, you know, in Christianity, you know, we say, um, you know, walk as if, um, you know, you know work, work as, as if working is the only option you have, pray as though prayer is the only option you had, right. and you right. know, it's 
holding these two ideas, these conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time as you say. Yeah, that's amazing. Hey, what was your mom's name? Felicia was my mom's Felicia. Name. Sorry to hear about that. 62, no, is much, six, 62 is much too young. Yeah, indeed. indeed. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. I, but I think that's a fascinating, that's exactly what I'm talking about. There's a mystery, whatever you want to call the mystery at the bottom of this, that I think of as explained relatively well by the fact that we live in a complex adaptive environment and we can't even any effort. This is what uh, this is. I'm paraphrasing here, but what what complexity theorists point to is they say, look, any effort to explain it in hindsight relies on myth and legend because mm, mm, mm. we don't know. We don't really know. We can't. And so anytime I hear entrepreneurs or authors or creatives explaining step by step, I'm like, you know, there might like I've tried to explain it. So maybe that's the, the, like, but it turns out, it turns out we don't have a lot to go on, you know, and, and we do our best in the financial planning world by using the weighty evidence of history. And that seems like a reasonable thing, right? Like there's no, anytime I always get, a, I always got a little nervous when I was doing planning for clients, if I was going to make an adjustment to history somebody had, I, I felt like I had to be, I had to be the, I had to explain that adjustment. I had to have a justification for that. And as soon as I did, I was getting really close to forecasting and, and all the financial pornography stuff. So I was always like, look, all we really have, it's unsatisfactory because it doesn't even come close. We know it'll be wrong, but all we have is the future, the past to predict, to use, to guide us on the future. And so let's just use that. And, and, and then we just have to rely on like the best scientists always say this, like a model is nothing more than a model. We know it won't represent the future, but it's all we have. Now a word from our sponsor. Nikki Heaton Jones is the managing director and the chief investment officer at Betafolio, the high tech, low cost, discretionary model portfolio manager. Typical model portfolio service costs about 36 basis points. That's in addition to the funds, the platform, you know, the advice fees. Tell us a bit about Betafolio's view and approach on fees. Well, I don't think anyone that knows us already, Abraham, would be surprised to hear me say that in a nutshell, NPS fees are too high. Um, if you include the fund charges and the platform fee that you already talked about, we get close to 1%, I think, on average for a lot of retail clients. And that's before they start paying for the financial plan, which is the part of the service that will ultimately add the most value for them in their advisor relationship and experience. Um, so, I mean, my view on fees and Betafolio's view on fees is that they have a real impact on current outcomes that needs attention. Um, and that's why we're building a scalable solution with technology that will allow us to keep costs low. And I think we also should consider the impact of these fees on advisors' businesses too. Advisors need to, to make a profit from, from their work. They need to have a viable business. 
and their cost bases have been rising because of regulation and the the more cost they have to pass through to their clients for overcomplicated services in in turn puts pressure on the advisor's own fees and and ultimately makes it not possible for them to to run a, a good business so fees are really crucial um and i'm really happy that we're in a position to be having a positive influence on the the trends in the market good stuff thank you nikki how do you think about goals right you know i i you know was uh, fortunate growing up right in secondary school um you know just after secondary school actually to be exposed to a lot a lot of you know, motivational stuff, right? You know, so I'm talking, you know, at 17, I was reading, you know, Norman Vincent Pill, um, um, you know, Brian Tracy, all this American, you know, motivational speaker, philosopher. I actually got into finance because I read Robert Kiyosaki's book um, yeah, right. at university, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, all this stuff. Yeah. You know, and I, I still do have notes from my uh, late teen years and early 20s of goals of what I wanted to do and accomplish with my life and all these things. And when I look at those notes now, as you say, I just laugh, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Now, 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 the, the outcome is being, you know, much in many cases better than what was in that, the, the notes, but but the journey has been the exact journey has been completely completely different right and so i got to a point where i started thinking to myself well what is the point of setting goals <laughs> right, 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 right if right. you know i know from other people's experience from my own experience that you know the outcomes even the goals i set for our business you know so the timeline as a business and, and you know part of that being being better for you today you know we have 40 people in the business you know we're approaching a billion um in in asset um, on management betfolio and all those things and i'm thinking to myself you know if i compare that to the goals i set Right. You know, a year ago, or even yeah, you know, it's just so. So you say, well, as financial planner, we spend all this time, you know, working with clients, and and I know that goal set it seems to be the right way to approach it. Yep. But but how do you think about these things when we do know that actually life is going to throw out, uh, you know, things that we just haven't anticipated, that we haven't planned for, or thought of, and you know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I love that question. It's really interesting. I've thought a lot about it. I've thought a lot about just goals in life and a lot about how financial planners use the word even. So I think to me, and I, I should have started with this preface when we started talking that I'm, I'm often wrong, but very rarely in doubt. doubt. So like most of what we talk about, like I, I, I'm sure I, I'm sure I'm wrong about this, but the way I think about it is that Goals. Well, first, let me tell you a story. Let me see if I can find, um, see if I can find a copy of, oh, I don't have any books with, oh yeah. Um, so are we going to, are you going to use the video? Yeah, it will. we're going to yeah. use it in some of the stuff. Yeah. So the obstacle is the way you can see that little guy right down there at the bottom. Yeah. yeah. The portfolio archer. And I, I, I'm really surprised that I don't have any Seth Godin books up here. Um, so 
I had on my on my credenza in my office in in when I lived in Las Vegas. I had I had the dip tribes like I had three of Seth's books and they were only books on the shelf and they were just by themselves with a bunch of other stuff only books on the shelf and I saw that archer I remember it so for those of you just listening portfolio is an imprint of penguin it's the business imprint and their logo is an archer sort of shooting whatever that mythical guy is shooting an arrow at the sun and I saw that logo and I would have never so I was writing a column for the New York Times at this point. I would have never set a goal to write a book with Penguin, let alone Portfolio. That's, that's who publishes all of Seth's books. I was like, I would have never. But I do remember, and I don't know what to make of this because I could tell you 10 stories like this. I do remember thinking, gosh, that logo is pretty cool. But I do remember thinking, like, I do remember, oh man, if I ever, that would be, that would be cool. So it was an evolution. It was probably like a year from, wow, that logo is really cool to, oh, if I ever, that would, man, that'd, that'd be a dream. Right? That was like probably a year of like, so, but it never got to the point of like, I'm going to write a published book. I never had that as a goal. So, so then you got that. And then, I mean, one other story, I remember when my wife and I, when we were first married, we lived in this little apartment and we wrote down one year, because it's what you were supposed to do. We wrote down yeah. our goals for the year. And then we, we, we lost them. Like, we, I don't even, we didn't even know we lost them. <laughs> we just lost track of them. And at, near the end of the year, we moved into a new apartment. And when we moved, we found these goals. And every single thing that was on that list, and we had forgotten, had happened. And I don't know, again, I don't... I, I, and then I have other goals that I've written down and I put on the mirror that didn't happen. So I don't know what to make of that. So the way I, the way I sort of like have framed goals for me is that that leads me sometimes to believe, like, like you said, what's the point? And here's to me the reason, and I've had this conversation, James Clear and I had this conversation, um, that I think goals are still really important. I, first of all, I think financial advisors should never use the word goals. I don't until after you're not allowed. If you have an intake form that says, what are your goals are, please, I'm begging you to tear it up. Don't do it. People don't like being asked their goals. No one does because you feel pressure. I use the word. I immediately feel it in the back of my neck. You feel pressure. Like, of course I should know my goals. Everybody knows their goals. Why don't I have goals? And then what you do is you just immediately grab the last thing you saw on Instagram and you insert that as your goal. Like I want that car. So we're not allowed to ask what goals are, but we can help clients craft them. So we back them into it and we can go into that process if you want. But I think, and then once you back them into it, you can go, oh, cool, Abraham, thanks for that. Is it okay if we write that down and call it a goal? So it's much different than saying, what's your goal? Because people don't know, they'll, they'll pretend they know and it will be the last thing they saw based on memetic, the work we know around memetic desire. So I think once we have a goal, do you have something you want me to stop? Yes, please. Sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, your flow, but how do you back them into you? So I'm a client yeah, that just walked into your room. How do you get me to, to set a goal without setting a goal? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think of this as a righteous trick. I think the best financial planners and advisors are just righteous tricksters. And a righteous trick is something that is done in service of the client. It's very, very different from a bait and switch. 
So, you know, Buddha was a righteous trick, trickster. Jesus was definitely a righteous trickster. Like, he, so, so all of the great wisdom teachers were righteous tricksters. I think good financial planners are good righteous tricksters. And like a righteous trick is you come into my office and you, all you want to talk about is performance. Cause that's what the financial pornography network taught you. You should talk about, and you have to greet me there and pull a righteous trick on me to under, help me understand that it matters, but it actually doesn't really matter. We should be talking about this. That's a righteous trick. So the goals righteous trick is simply, we start, we want to have some conversation that helps a client envision a desired future state. And, and that's from the literature on sale, the sales process just and consulting. So a desired future state. So you can point to Bill Bacharach's work on a question you could ask to help somebody with a desired future state. You can point to Simon Sinek's work on start with why. You can point to Dan Sullivan's, the, the Dan Sullivan question, if we were meeting three years from today, what would have to happen? And you can certainly point to the really deep work that George Kinder's done on. So you have that sort of a conversation first. I, I call that, and I don't tell the client this until after, but I, we're helping clients develop a statement of financial purpose. That's what I call that. So mine, so if I were to say, if somebody were to ask me that question, Carl, let's just use Bill Backer's question. Carl, what's important about money to you? You could use, I've gotten there with Simon Sinek. Somebody just recently took me through George Kinder's. We got to the same place. My answer was, gosh, really, what's important about money to me is time with my family mm. and mainly outside. Like that, <laughs> it, it, that, that's what just about anybody who knows me would tell you, like, Carl, kids, get outside. And secondarily, serve in my church and my community. So that's a statement of financial purpose. So we have, we develop some sense of questions. It's a skill to get good, but with a little bit of practice, you can get there in 10 or 15 minutes in a first meeting where somebody says to you, um, and I'm gonna pause real quick, Abraham, just cause you're frozen. Are you back? There we go. Um, in 10 or 15 minutes, a client says to you, uh, let's just use mine. Uh, I could give you hundreds of examples. George, uh, um, uh, Vera and um, George said he was of Tom Brokaw's greatest generation. You know, like, so duty and, you know, community, that's all that matters, duty and service. And he said, um, I don't want to be a burden to the kids. Mm. And if we have enough, I'd love to set them up with great education. Well, it's pretty easy from there to say, okay, I think I got that right. You know, um, his name wasn't George. His wife's name was Vera, but we're just going to go with George and Vera. Um, it's pretty easy to say, George and Vera, I think I got this. You don't want to be burdened to the kids and you want to make sure they get a great education. And if there's anything left, you'd love to leave it to the grandkids. Did I get that right? Yeah, I got that right. Let's put a little framework around that. What would it mean if you, let's pretend for a minute that you weren't a burden, it's been 20 years and you haven't been a burden to the kids. What would have had to have happened? Uh, what does that look like? Oh, it's $5,000 check in the mailbox every month on the first. Oh, okay. I'm going to write, is it okay, George, if I write down $5,000 check? And when we're done, we're going to call that a goal. In fact, that'll be a very specific financial goal, right? Somebody could say to me, time outside, mainly with your kids. Carl, what does that look like? How much time? What would you be doing? Oh, cool. Got that. Is it okay if, oh, you want to make sure that you go on one trip a month and then once a year, you'd love to take the kids in the truck down to Baja and surf. Is it okay if we write that down and we'll call it a goal? 
Like that's how you back the goals flow from a deeper why. That's why I think goal-based planning was an amazing step in the right direction. And I, I always think of, like somebody said this, that goal, saying goal-based planning is like saying oxygen-based breathing. <laughs> right? so, so of course, of course, but, but we don't start with the goals because that's a problem. Like we already outlined, we start with why, to, to paraphrase Simon Sinek. So we can start with why, the goals flow out of why, because we all know when markets get scary and you remind people of their goals as a way to keep them invested, they're gonna say something like, ah, yeah, you know what? I don't care about that much anymore. But if we can take one more step to connecting them to a deeper sense, we have a better chance. It doesn't always work, but we have a better chance of keeping them. This was all, all of this thinking was designed out of how to solve the behavior gap. How can I get people to stop selling when the market's scary? Was like, oh, I thought it was like, educate them first. Oh, did you know there's this problem? Did you know that the average bear market, da, 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 you know, all the stats, Oh, uh, turns out that doesn't work. Okay, well then they have to have goals. Ah, uh, turns out that goals can become fluid real easily when I'm under stress. Turns out we need to connect them to a deeper yes. So, cause we're asking them to say no to something that feels really important. I gotta sell, mm. or I gotta buy that thing, or I gotta spend more money, or I gotta, we're asking them to say no. The only way I've found to get people to say consistently no to something that feels deeply important is to have a deeper yes. And that starts with why, and that's how you back people into their goals. Is that so, this is, so, so this is brilliant, right? So, so we, we, we back them into their goals. We go, I, I, sorry, I'm thinking about it. Tell me if I, where I'm wrong, because I am, um, is we go and then, you know, put the goals into a concrete plan of sorts, right? run Monte Carlo simulations, use the weight, my approach, use the weight of historical data to prove what they have to do and uh, to, to achieve those goals. And then we come back and say to them, well, look, I've done all sorts of work on this. The future is going to look like, isn't going to look like this. I don't know what the future is going to, I mean, it's like, Financial planners try to sell uncertainty yeah. in a world that is inherently uncertain. How yeah. do we present that? How do yeah, we yeah, you can't. This you're so good at this. Like I love these questions. Look, we cannot be sellers of certainty. It's the reason people, our industry has such a bad rap. Other than some of the sales stuff that goes on, one of the reasons the like real financial planning has a bad rap is that we've sold it as certain, and we can't. And, and the reason, the reason, the reason it's so, and look, here's the empathetic hug, right? Like I understand why we want to do that because every, every human being wants it. It's so easy. Certainty is easy to sell, but impossible to deliver. And so what we can do instead is just be, and I have found, and this is not a, 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 a gender statement in any way, but I, I found early in my career that I ran across, uh, clients would sniff this out. And often it was women who would, who would just sort of have this sense of like, wait, you're trying to tell me that's what the next five years, let alone 30 years of my life are going to look like. And, and I, yeah, yeah, look like, and I would flip through the two inch thick plan and I would show and like, of course, and I would prove, I would start proving, proving, proving. And then uh, of course I was always wrong. 
And so what, what I think we can do is this shift, Abraham, this little shift from feeling like a defender of an outdated map mm-hmm. to a guide in a changing landscape. A guide uses maps. Mm-hmm. A, guide, a guide sets a route. Like I have guided people on rivers in New Zealand. I have been guided on rivers in New Zealand. I've been guided in big mountains. Anybody who's ever been with a mountain guide will know this. When you leave, the mountain guide will present to you a very certain path. Here's where we're going. We're going to stop here for lunch. We're going to sleep here. Then we're going to get to here. Then we're going to get to here. They'll be very clear about that. And then most of the good ones at least will say, and we'll see what the mountain gives us. Right. And I just got done with a five day, it's actually like a three week trip, a surfing trip in Baja. And it was all dirtbag style. Like we were sleeping in the car and sleeping like it, it, it was amazing. But what the best part of the trip was the fact that things changed. We had one day where three different times in the single day, we changed where we were going to be sleeping that night. And like the conversations we had as a group around like, well, what do you think? Should we try that? Well, that thing's closed and the wind's going to pick up and from the south, the, the swell is going to be big, so we don't want to be on the boat. Like, but we, when we left, we had a certain plan. We made reservations at campgrounds. So you've got to hold those things at the same time. I'm going to build you a plan. And Mr. and Mrs. Klein, I want you to know, this simply represents my best guess of the future. I'm positive it's going to be wrong. You know what's going to change? Your goals are going to change. That's why we call them Mr. and Mrs. Klein. I just want you to know, like, I actually call goals guesses. And I love that language because it just lowers the pressure. Like it becomes playful. And then what that does, and this, I get so fired up about this because it shifts your job. Like, let's just go defender versus guide for a minute. If you're a defender, you build this beautiful plan. It's got all these beautiful projections. This is why life insurance always has such a terrible rap. Whole, uh, particularly the permanent like variable or whole life policies that never... I've seen a million of those projections. They all look amazing. And I have never once seen one that worked, right? So, so if we can, a defender, maybe we'll just focus on investments for a minute. Defender builds a plan. And then when the markets go bad, and we can all relate to this, when the markets go bad, things are get scary. The markets are down 20, 30, 40%, whatever the number is, even like 7% these days, it feels like. Like the markets are down. You go to meet with a client. A defender feels bad, right? A defender might even feel like a good financial planner probably has gone through this the last couple of years, like felt guilty, felt a sense of embarrassment or shit. Like I didn't do my job. Gosh, I put these people in a really bad place. A defender will also use things like, do you realize if you miss the 10 best days of the stock market? Hmm. Like a defender will start spraying people with facts and figures. They think you can be rational when somebody's making an irrational decision. It doesn't work. Try it with a teenager. Hmm. Like you, you want to convince somebody to not do drunk driving really fast? Do you think it's going to work to just give them stats? No. So, so a defender, you start, you go into that meeting feeling like you got to defend the plan. A guide, I mean, this is so beautiful to me. Like a guide can absorb with empathy. The client walks in is really upset, scared, nervous, and you can sit there, right? I almost get emotional about it, thinking like, 
I can look, I remember looking Dan and Barbara in the eyes and saying, I know, right? Like when I watch the news right now, I get scared too, right? This is a big storm. It's pretty windy. Uh, I, when, when we, to be honest, right? Like we know storms come in this mountain all the time. The weighty evidence of history tells us. It's not really a surprise there's a storm here. It's a surprise that it came today. And the reason for it, they're always new. You know, all bear markets are new. That's part of the problem, like a new problem. This has never happened before. So we can say, I know, it's pretty stormy out there, right? And we can absorb it. We can feel it with them. And then we can reach across the table and grab them by the collar and say, Abraham, I've got you, right? We're going to go this way. I'm not an expert at predicting storms, but I'm an expert at getting people through them. I got all these tools in my backpack. I don't know which ones we're going to need, but when we get over that pass, which we can barely see right there, when we get over that pass, I think there's a lake there. And if there's not, I got tools, we'll deal with it. Come with me, right? Like how great of a job is that compared to seven best days in the market that the average bear market is 217 days. We're only 212 days in it. Like it's such a better job. Now, now after the, after the hugs, sure that data and the historical evidence and all sure that stuff's useful, of course, but it's after like first the hug, then the lecture. So that's to me how that all changes. Like we build this beautiful plan. They've got these goals and then suddenly life happens. And it could be positive too. It could be something really well, really good went on. And you're like, guess what? The plan blew up in a positive way. Put on your golfing shoes. You know that trip you've been thinking about taking? Why don't you take it? You know, so you're just constantly saying, I think if you set it up with the client that you know this will change, and then suddenly the changes become a demonstration of value instead of a demonstration of failure, right? This is just so powerful, I think. And, you know, some of the conversations that, that we've been having in terms of, you know, the stuff that we do with, with timeline, you know, like I see planners who say, well, you know, and a lot of this goes, goes up and they said, all right, I'm going to run a, you know, straight line projection of, you know, based on 7% a year and 3% inflation. And, and I sort of say to myself, well, even if you're right, right, it, with the overall outcome, the journey is still going to be vastly different. I, I mean, and then what do you do in this scenario where actually inflation is like 7.5% RPI in the, in the UK, there's projection, it might get to, to, to maybe, you know, 9%, double digits, possibly, who knows? I don't know. So I say to planners, well, you don't need to do all that, you know, make any assumptions about future returns or inflation. I've got a hundred years of capital market data, run all these different scenarios. Of right. course, don't present this to the client in a way that confuses yeah. them. You're just saying, look, you know, in your plan, I have run all these type of scenarios. Yeah. We're going to make changes along the way. So, so to me, the starting point of if we base the plan on any illusion of certainty, you know, because right. people say to me, oh, you know, this is going to confuse the client. And we used to make a, a mistake, right? Like we would do this fun chart with a lot of, you know, but actually we, we, we got rid of all of that. We, we, we brought it down to just color, right? 
you know, an arc with color, right? Green means good, right? High success rate. We don't even use that term. You know, it means your plan's on track. If it's amber, you need to tweak stuff, right? If it's red, then it's not, I don't think it's going to work. But the, the, <laughs> point, the point is that, I don't know who said this about, for, for the, it's, it's something along the line, for the simplicity that lies on the other side Oliver of Wendell complexity. Holmes. Sorry? Yeah. Oliver Wendell Holmes, like, yeah, I wouldn't give a fig for the simplicity on this side of complexity, but I'd give my, there's a debate, right arm or life. I'd give my life for the simplicity that lies on the other side of complexity. Right. So, so there is a complexity to get over, but we present in a way that's simple. And we say, look, I've done all the math. Because I feel, you know, because one of the things I was thinking about is when you're in the middle of the storm, right, you know, a 20, 30, 40% drawdown in the capital market, what gives you the confidence or the comfort to say to the clients, to look them in the eye after you've done the UG, and to say, well, this is going to be okay. Where does that come from? Well, I, look, I, I don't actually feel confident saying, I promise you it's going to be okay. Right. I right. think that's a thing called risk in the capital markets that we all think is a cute little dial that we can just dial. No. Okay, fine. Risk, maybe we can dial. There's another thing called uncertainty that all our cute little risk management tools aren't going to help at all. Mm -hmm. And so I think the confidence for me comes from knowing this is our best alternative. It's more right. like Winston Churchill's democracy quote. You know, the way we invest money is the worst way ever invented, except for all the others. And I, I used to use that quote in every single scary market conversation I ever had with clients. I use that quote. Because I would say, look, I realize, Abraham, that this is terribly unsatisfactory. The answer I'm going to give you is terribly unsatisfactory. Like what I want to give you is I promise you this is going to work out. But what I'm telling you is it, based on the weighty evidence of history, it always has. Mm. And if something different shows up, there is no one. And I would look people eyes and like I get firm about this. There is no one better position on the planet than me to help you navigate that. Right. So, and I would always end those conversations with, so if it's okay with you, the single best thing I could see us doing right now is staying the course, mm -hmm. right? You can walk through, like, it doesn't make any sense to jump off a ship into a lifeboat. It doesn't make any sense to jump off the lifeboat into the water. Like we can use all those ex examples, but I think at the end of the day, it's better if I think it's better. Now, now there is one little doctrine of overconfidence. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very interesting. And this comes from some of the work on sort of war and military strategy. There are times when you have to be overconfident mm -hmm. or overconfidence is a tool. And by definition, you have to say things that you don't know are true. Yeah. Like you do not want, you do not want the paramedic that shows up on the scene of your accident. <laughs> if you're going to die, if, you, if there's a, you know, there's a 70% chance you're going to die. You don't want the paramedic saying that. I've got you. We're going to get you through this. Stay with me, right? Like you're there. I, I got you. I got you. Got you. You're not going to say, well, geez, there's almost no chance you're going to live. <laughs> so there are times when we do have to say, and I remember looking Dan and Barbara in the eye and saying, we're going to be okay. Like I got you. I don't know exactly how it's going to turn out, but the way to end of history, blah, blah, blah. I prove it all to the degree I need to, like just to the degree that they need to know that I've done the work. 
You know, I think of it as like the degree I have to take them through the complexity. Sometimes people just need to dip their toe. Sometimes people don't need any of it. They just need me to look them in the eye. I think the degree to which we allow people to feel heard and we empathize with the fear they're feeling, that's the thing that some of the UK, I'm going to just be really blunt here. Please. Some of the UK advisors, um, actually, they're no different than the US. I met some of the best financial planners in the world in the UK. Right. Um, but I've also met some of the most, um, is it okay to say, like, I love Nick Murray. I love Nick Murray's work, right? Nick Murray's a, the godfather. You know what I mean? Yeah. Nick Murray is also from Long Island and he, he doesn't have, he's like, if you don't see it my way, get out. And that's, what makes him so, that's what makes him so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But when you see that showing up, like uh, when I watch like UK advisor Twitter, I yes. love it because you guys get after each other so much yeah. and it's so yeah. fun to, I'm like, nobody can, crack <laughs> on, nobody can crack on another advisor, like a UK advisor. But when I see this, this, like it comes across as you would be stupid. And, and, and the, 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 the problem is it comes across as you're stupid to feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. Are you, would it be, would it be maybe a, a silly choice to sell right now? Of course. Is it silly to feel like selling? No. Mm. And we've got to help people understand that mm, mm. we've got, we got to help the advisors understand. Like I get you, if you turn the TV on right now, if you're human, you're scared. Right. And, and, and so to say, so if we can, the degree to which I think we're successful at keeping people in the boat is largely the degree to which we can allow them to feel heard first. And then, and then we can say, I got you. You know what? We can empathize if it's appropriate. For me, it's easy. Because I'm just like, geez, if I watch the news, I get a little nervous too. Mm, mm, mm. And then we get to go to the weighty evidence of history. And then I think the little wrinkle we just introduced is the idea that that the, where the confidence comes from is just being honest about the idea that my confidence is not about that the markets will look a certain way. My confidence comes from my ability to know that I can navigate uncertainty. Mm, mm, and, that, and, and even more importantly, my confidence comes from my ability to know that if anyone can do it for these clients, it's me. Mm. No one else is positioned to do this because I know them well enough. I know where to punch in the face. I know where to give an empathetic hug. I know when to play chess or, chess or checkers, right? I can, and I'm, I'm a rock star as it comes to the use of a calculator. Mm-hmm. Like I can go toe to toe with anybody on my investment process. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about UK planners is like toe to toe with anybody on their investment process. And now some of the most empathetic planning also comes out of the UK. And so I think as we see people marry these, like I watch, I watch the way Alan Smith's navigating this and I watch yeah. the way um, I watched the way, uh, yeah, a bunch of people navigating this. So anyway, that's my take on how, where does the confidence come from? The confidence is not in your ability to predict. The confidence is your, in your ability to handle the unpredictable. Mm, no, brilliant, brilliant stuff. Look, I, I, there's a, I can continue this conversation where we're, we're already way over time, but I want to start wrapping this up because uh, otherwise Jake, my producer, is going gonna, is gonna to kill me. A couple of things, and this is a question that is coming out of my own frustration, Carl. And I asked, um, you know, um, other thinkers, um, you know, in 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 our field, this this industry. I, I asked Judge Kinder this question, which is, 
you know, Carl, you've been doing this for over a decade now. Um, by this, I mean, you know, this idea of, you know, inspiring, um, you know, talking to other financial planners, um, you know, about this empathetic approach to planning and behavioral, um, behavioral financial planning, colleague, behavioral financial advice. Um, yet, <laughs> Carl, it's still a niche, right? It's a niche, niche, right? <laughs> I don't know. We've got uh, in the UK something like 30,000 financial professionals. I would say probably, you know, less than 10% of them are, are in this sort of crowd of audience around thinking. You know, I think vast majority of financial professionals are still in the sort of, um, you know, investment product dominating all the conversation. Why? Why is it that all the good stuff, <laughs> you know, um, you know, uh, life planning, behavioral, financial coaching, all these things, why the thing are they still very much niche? Why isn't this the norm? You had this thing called Society of Financial, but you even called it Secret Society of Financial. I'm thinking to myself, why is it still a flipping secret in spite of the incredible hard work um, of people like you going around the world spreading the message? Why? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really, it's, it's, it's a really good question. I, I, my, so first of all, it's interesting because it's not, it's not actually about, like, I'm just going to be crass about it for a minute. It's not actually about revenue. Mm. Right? Like I know people building, it's, it's a better job. It's a better business. It's better for, it's better for, it's better for the advisor. Mm. Right? Then, then we obviously that's not what matter. Well, it, it actually does matter. If you're going to stay in the business, you got to have it be a, a profitable business, right? We know it's better for the client. That's of course, right? Um, so it's a better, but I don't think it's about everybody I know that's made this change feels, I'll try to do this in order of priority, feels better about themselves and the work they do. They feel more fulfilled, more purpose. Clearly their clients are being served better. And to be honest, everybody I know that's made this change is making more money, right? Like, like they're, they're, they're making as much or more. Yeah. Their clients are probably paying less and they're making more because they've got more clients, happier clients, clients consolidate assets. So it's not about that. Um, it's hard to see that. I think it's fundamentally about change. I think it's just hard to change. I think, I, cause I've, I've, Tell I'm blue in the face. I've 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 talked to people. They're like, no, it's a better job. I promise you. I don't want to make less money. No, you'll make more. <laughs> I don't. And your clients will be happier. Like it's a better job. It. But part of it's just it's a new skill. And then there's also this whole element of everything we talked about. It's hard to hold these competing. A lot of the world likes to see the world as black and white. There's no nuance. It's hard to hold these competing ideas in your head. It's hard to dive into uncertainty. It's harder to be a guide than a defender of a map just like emotionally it's harder it's a better job it's mostly hard. but the last thing i want to say about that question is i think there's a problem and i get in trouble for this a lot i think i got in trouble in the uk for this a bit um there's a problem with us being very territorial and mm. very very like i can't believe you spoke to that group 
Mm -hmm. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm not so subtly hinting at something I heard in the UK about me. <laughs> and, and I, I just want to explain I, the re the way I think about this is there are people in our industry who are very, very convinced that their role is to take a small group of people, hundred percent there. And the people who are doing that work, I'm amazed, like, please, thank you for that work. Like, and we don't talk to the others and the others are bad and the others, we have names for them. And we like, I can't, but we just don't associate with the others. People that do that kind of work. That's amazing. My approach has always been, if I can take the whole industry. So rather than taking a small piece of the industry, hundred percent there, what if I could take the whole industry 10% there or 20% there, 30%, the people at those places that we all point out and go, oh, oh, they're so bad. They are never going to have a chance to change. If we don't, we are not, that's fine. If you want to fight that fight to me, I would much rather be talking to a big group of advisors who are doing it all wrong as a way of saying, hey, did you know this is a good business model? Did you know? And I can play chess with them and I can give them the appropriate punch in the nose and the appropriate empathetic hug because I was one of them. I was at a big brokerage firm that will go unnamed, but it has a bull as its symbol and is owned by a bank. Like I, my favorite people are the people who've moved <laughs> from there to there. Yeah. The best advisors I know. So I, I am hanging out with tax collectors and publicans. Mm. Right? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm hanging out with the sinners. Yeah, we all know. Is it Bat Bartholomeus? I can't remember his name. Uh, that the Jesus called down from the trees to say, I'm coming to you. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> Bar Bartholomew. Yeah, I, yeah I, I, but I, I, all I'm trying to say is if we don't ever engage, I mean, we can apply this to politics. Like, if we separate into our little factions and just throw stones at each other, mm. there's never going to be, and I'm not there to save people, but if I can understand them a bit and they can understand me a bit, and there's an empathetic relationship there, and then there's suddenly a space for us to feel safe in exploring, making some change. And on the behalf of the people out there, that's what I care about, is the people out there. If we want to help more people, you know, it's not getting any better in the UK. Mm despite all of our podcasts and all of our voices and all of our books <laughs> and all of our apps and all of our, it's not going to get better. Yeah. Well, how's it going to get better? If we get more and more people to join the, the, the right quote unquote right way. So anyway, that's, that's how I view it. That's, that's, I, that's how I, that's why I see the small group and it's the way I see changing, making the small group larger is let's not make the secret anymore. Yeah. Right? That, that that is just brilliant, Carl. Um, thank you. Thank you. Uh, there's a lot for me personally and all that. I'm guilty of, you know, this kind of us versus them, you know, uh, as much as anyone. So uh, th there is a huge lesson. I just, I, I imagine, I picture this, you know, we have this national conference, uh, personal finance conference, um, you know, in the UK, I'm speaking sometimes later in October, I, I think. Uh, I just, I just, I wish I could give you, <laughs> you my, my slot, right? You know, I, 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 I really want a conference like that for you, um, Judge Kinder, all these great, amazing people to talk to as many advisors that we, we can, uh, you know, that we can move 10% uh, along the way, actually. 
So um, well, I understand that you have a new opening in your since you no longer do your other conference. Why don't you just start a new conference? Because that's I, exactly, you, exactly you have plenty of time. Like it's not, <laughs> not a problem. Yeah. yeah, it's not me you have to persuade, it's my team, right? <laughs> yeah. It's April, yeah. But hey, where, where, I'm thinking, I'm thinking definitely of, yeah. of something. Look, yeah. where can we find you? What's up for you? Uh, all these sort of yeah. final words that you want to say, please. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's not much. Like, if you go to the societyofadvice.com, that's that's where you'd find all my work, If you know, for the majority of the portion of this audience that are financial advisors, you'd find all the work at the Society of Advice. And you go there and it's it's mysterious. All you have to do is enter your email. That's all That's all you can do. There's no information. <laughs> Don't ask me any questions. Just come along. We'll show you some tricks. Um, and then the Behavior App Weekly Letter. And that's at behavioraff.com if you're more interested in this sort of consumer side. Um, yeah, and like just as closing comments, I look, I am so excited about, I'm actually really optimistic about the direction I I'm, I'm getting invited to speak at places. I never thought they would allow me in. Yeah. Right. I'm, they're allowing me to say things that I didn't think I'd ever be allowed to say. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I see change happening and I, I, I see it being led by, I mean, George Kinder was 30 years ahead of his time, right? Like, like mm -hmm. George and people like George making a massive difference. And I can see it. I was at a conference yesterday where every session, every breakout, they mentioned, they just, they were just talking as if it was a thing that we've always done. <laughs> a one, you know, like nobody can remember a time when it was different. Mm -hmm. And, and they were specifically using the phrase one page financial plan. Like it was a thing. I remember when I released that book, I got made fun of endlessly by planners. And now, now it's people, half the people who were using that word don't have any idea I had anything to do with it, which is part of the goal. So I think we're getting to the point where people are going to start using this word, the, the, this, it, I don't know what they're going to call it necessarily, but they're going to be doing this kind of work and they won't remember a time when it was different. Yes. yes. And, and I think we're getting, I think we're, I, I can see that happening. So I'm super jazzed about it. And so thank you for the work you do. I know so much of it, you don't have to be doing. Um, and you look, I know it's scary having opinions. And, and, but we need people like you putting stakes in the ground and saying, Hey, let's go this way. And so thanks for the work that you do. And this has been an absolute honor. I'll do it anytime. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. Thank you very much. And you've been doing these things. I saw that you're doing something quite fascinating at, at Jolt conference where you're taking your truck and you're going to be sketching. Is that the, or you're going to be, you know, with some of yeah. the hard work? Or yeah. Yeah. We're doing also, I've, I've, I've lately, because I got that, that little break of speaking at conferences, I realized I was sort of like, I was like saying, I just started saying no to all of them. And people were like, why are you saying no? I'm like, cause they're boring. Like, so I've started saying, look, I will only come to a conference if I can do like my keynote yesterday, I told them there will be no slides. I'm not going to give you anything in advance. You don't care. Like if you ask me for anything, I'm not going to come. And, and <laughs> I, I don't want to be a jerk about it. That's not what I, but I, I like, I want it to be fun. And so Jolt, when I told Jolt that, you know, Robert at Snappy Kraken was like, you're speaking my language. Like, what do you want to do? So yeah, we're doing some fun things. I'm driving the truck down. I'm taking the blue couch, which is right there. The Michael Kitsis blue couch. We're, we're, we're going to do some stuff with the art. Um, we're going to do more and more of that. So 
Good, good stuff. This is the longest po- your po- podcast. This session it's actually longer than Michael Kitsis. Like, is the same. <laughs> so, no, thank you. I've enjoyed thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed yeah. our session. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you for all that you give to to me, to the profession. Thank you very, very much. Um, yeah. I'm very grateful. Thank you. Cheers, Abraham. Thank you. I'll be remiss if I don't thank my incredible team who worked very hard to put this program together. Thank you, thank you very much guys. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Timeline App, the retirement planning software, and Bitfolio, the high-tech, low-cost, flat-fee model portfolio manager. And to you, our listeners, thank you for your time. I hope you've had as much fun listening to the program as we have making it. You can find more about the show at retirementals.co.uk and you can follow me on Twitter. My handle is Abraham on Money. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.